Armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Dr. Royer. Doc, say hi. Yeah. Hey, Greg. How y'all doing out there today? I'm doing pretty good. So in previous episodes, we've talked a lot about what it means to thrive as a human being, human thriving, human flourishing. And we've also talked about presence, what it means and the value of being present. However, there's a self-deception we can fall into, which is that we can be somewhere without actually being there. Right? right. So we're physically present with people. We're, we're physically at work. We're physically with our spouse. We're physically with our children, but we're not really there. Right. You can be with people without actually being with them. You're kind of just going through the motions without really paying attention or engaging. And so the challenge is not just to physically be there, but to really engage with where you are and what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Yeah, that's spot on. And with this, I think we need to just start with what we talk about a lot is downstream versus upstream. So you can have two people in the same situation and one is fully engaged, fully present because the upstream neurological, physiological, down to psychological to emotional behavior is all connected in a balanced way. Or you can have somebody in the exact same situation, they're there, they're for the same amount of time, but they're disengaged because upstream, the system is in chaos. And you can desire all you want to be, to be present or connected to your senses. But if your upstream activity is out of balance, your neurological first, the physiological, your cardiovascular, your your respiratory, your hormones, your sleep patterns, you just can't downstream be engaged. It's just not going to happen. You have to have the upstream under control. And that's where we really need to focus on is before I come to this behavior of being present with people, I have to look upstream and what am I doing prior to this event ever occurring that enables me to activate this upstream to downstream to be able to be fully engaged. What you're saying is that it goes far deeper than that. And in fact, the preoccupation may be a downstream behavior of where the brain is. Absolutely. There's a a practice or a discipline of dealing with the upstream. I have this gentleman who did an interview with me a number of years ago, very well-known guy. And he's talking about how his life changed through the breathing and the heart rate and the EEG work that we do, these upstream changes. And in there, he says, he says this quote I love. He says, your life's going 100 miles an hour. You're going go, 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 go. And three days of vacation is not going to take care of that. And that's kind of like programmed into us. Like we're this robot, right? Like I can just like, okay, I'm going to turn off the switch and go on a long weekend and I come back and now I'm ready to go. And He had come to the realization that until he worked on these hardcore upstream things for months, years, actually, I think of how long he trained these things, that then he developed this new normal 
where he really could be present. So he almost like, it's the will to prepare to be present. It's not just, I'm going to be present right now. You can't do that if you haven't prepared your nervous system and the downstream systems that respond to your nervous system. So what my brain is doing, you know, it it's over all the systems and it operates all those. And if that brain is not operating at the right speed, everything else physiologically is going to be out of kilter. So if the brain is going fast, it's not that the car, the heart is going to go slow. No, the heart is going to be going fast and the respiratory system is going to be going fast and the digestive system is not going to be working effectively and the immune system is going to be off and the HP axis, HPA axis is going to be overactivated. And this is going on continuously and then all of a sudden you have this quiet moment with somebody and you're expecting that your behavior, that you're going to be able to be present, you can't be because neurologically you have this habitual pattern of being in sympathetic, which is in this fast mode, or you live in this world of, I call it the pendulum, where you go fast, 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 crash. Right. Fast, 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 crash. And all you right. know is... You're the person who walks in and says, I've had this happen so many times with couples where the wife is having a little problem sleeping and she says, well, he doesn't have any problem sleeping because when we get in bed in two minutes, he's asleep. And I actually point out that's actually a problem. It should take you about nine to 18 minutes to fall asleep. And anything under seven minutes is a sleep latency disorder, meaning you are so fatigued that your body isn't in rhythm, it's crashing because you're going so hard all the time that the body goes into parasympathetic and now you can't engage because you're going too slow. So this happens in the middle of the day, three o'clock, you are like just limp walking around. You're like a, just a, you can't even move, you know, because you're so tired and then you get a bunch of caffeine and jack yourself back up again and then you crash again. And so, The key to all of this, you can't talk about presence without talking about where are you before that moment ever happens? Like, what are you doing with the nervous system? So whether you're at work and your colleague or your boss or whatever says, hey, pay attention, snap out of it. You're like, okay, I'm here. All right. So review. Yeah. And they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're like, for about 30, 45 seconds, they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. Got it. Got it. And then about a minute later, you can start to see their eyes sort of drift and wander, right? And they kind of look at their phone again because they can't snap out of it. Exactly. Because they're not, they're not ever into the presence. They're not ever into that, that middle speed, that optimal speed of the brainwave activity or the heart and cardiovascular, which we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes here. But you have to be able to be ready for that because it takes energy to be present. Okay. It takes energy. I I know this firsthand because as a psychologist, right out of after my experience at the hospital, I developed a practice and I was doing therapy hour after hour after hour. You want to know, I mean, I do all kinds of stuff physically and working and that kind of stuff. The most exhausting thing that I've ever experienced in my life is doing therapy. To do therapy well with somebody for 50 minutes is exhausting. If you are going to truly listen 
and try to understand the emotions they're experiencing and the traumas they're experiencing and really be present and walk through that with them as a therapist. Not all therapists do that. They kind of have their own agenda many times, so it's not as exhausting. But to truly listen and engage my senses with somebody takes energy. And if I've used my energy before I've ever even gotten into that situation, just spinning on things, because I can't stop the thoughts from bouncing into my brain. I have what's called monkey brain, where it's just one thing right. to another. Yes, I'm only going to last about 20 seconds before, wow, I'm off to something else, right? right? So this is where that ability to really be focused and engaged and fully present really matters. But you wanted to talk about the brain a little bit. So, so take us yeah. through that. Yeah. Right before I go to the brain, I want to add a plug here. We've been talking recently about the Inner Armor program, which is available to users. Yep. And a huge part of that program, huge part, is really making the user an expert at the breathing and the, the heart rate variability that we just discussed, which we also refer to as coherence. And you can develop this so quickly through the right technology that you're really changing some of the upstream things. That was just a little plug there for the yeah. program. And if well, you I, ever want if you want to access it, absolutely. You know, go, go to, to forge, forgearmor.com. Uh, right? And check. Because yeah, it, it, it allows you to access it really on demand. You yes. learn how to switch into the zone, to switch into that space when you need to. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we built this program, made it very streamlined, very usable, less than 10 minute sessions. For users, because this is such a huge component to who you are as a person, and it just unleashes all the potential in there. But let's kind of go to the last one that, I mean, there's many we can talk about. Oh my goodness, the HPA axis, the hormones, all kinds of stuff. But but we really wouldn't be doing justice to this if we didn't get to the, the master controller of this, which is the brain. And so the brain runs off of electrical current. Okay, and this electricity runs in various speeds, just like a, a car or has different speeds it can go into. And there's 12, there's basically 32 of these different speeds, zero to 32. And the first 12 are primarily there for the brain to rest and recover. Okay, if you're stuck in those, one of those 12 frequencies or a band of those too much, you'll find that it's very hard to focus. This is kind of that crashing component that we'll see when somebody's been running, 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 and then they crash and fall asleep in the board meeting. If we had an EEG on them, which I'd love to have, I could see ahead of time that brain is starting to drift too much into the slow waves. This person isn't paying attention. Okay. You could see that with an attention disorder. Like I can see it before the person actually behaviorally elicits that behavior, as I can see, oh, Brain just downshifted into too much theta, four to eight hertz, is not able to focus. I just lost that person. Even though they're looking straight at me, that person is not listening to a word I'm saying because they're engaging too much of the slower brain waves. After we have the slow ones, and those are important because they help us recover, but we don't want to be using those at the wrong time. Okay. We want to primarily be using those when we're sleeping. 12 to 20 hertz is the perfect speed. And really, we would say, and we talk about this in the book, 
is we talk about this uncommon focus that comes out of 12 to 16, 12 to 15 hertz, which is the marathon runner of focus in the brain. I mean, it allows the brain to focus for long periods of time. This is when an athlete is in the zone. It's when you can't miss. It's when you're producing things in the office and you look up and you say, it's only 10 o'clock. Like, right. I just did eight hours of work in two hours. What in the heck happened? That's that flow state. And that is an actual measurable thing that we can see in the brain. And when the brain is dominated by 12 to 15, 12 to 16 hertz, it will be super productive. And it'll also be very calm and focused, which is at the core. It's the bedrock of being present. If somebody doesn't have volumes of 12 to 16 they can try all they want to be present, but they will never get to that 70%, 80% ability to be present because the brain is not engaged. It can't be engaged at the level that we want it to for long periods of time unless it's in that frequency. Then comes the last band of frequencies, which is 20 to 32. And these would be called the high betas. There's other frequencies in the brain, but just for the purpose of this discussion, this is where the brain has this built-in mechanism to be able to handle the changes, situations that may come our way that are unpredictable. These are the stress response brainwaves. These are the, the ambulance drivers, the EMTs of the brain, 20 and 32. And they're there to help you run from lions, to help you deal with bullets coming over the foxhole. The reason that they're helpful for that is they activate our adrenaline and they bring in extra sources of energy that can get us out of difficult situations. Many of us learn through really bad habits to hack these fast brainwaves to get normal activities done. And that's how we work our way up the ladder or complete the, the studying for the exam at the last minute and all these different things is by hacking these fast brainwaves and using them for something they really weren't meant to be used for. They can be very productive, but there's a cost. You can't just burn that much energy that you was reserved to run from a lion and you just used it the first four hours of your day just to get through your day and you, and you made it go a little faster with adding some more caffeine to it because that'll make it go faster too. And now you're crashing because the body can't do that. But talk about the psychological effects where I've taught myself to treat everything as a crisis or to think of everything as a crisis or to think that the best way to function in life is to be in crisis mode. What does that do to somebody psychologically over time? Yeah, psychologically, it's going to produce a ton of anticipatory anxiety, stress, could develop into clinical disorders like not being able to sleep at night, which we should be able to do, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks. Your head is kind of on a swivel all the time. Like you're, you're looking, trying to look 360 degrees all the time because you don't know what's coming at you. And yes, that keeps you activated in a focused way, but it's a stress focused. Like when somebody darts out in front of me when I'm driving my car, I become extremely focused, okay? But when that event is over with and I miss the kid or whatever, I want to eat three Snickers bars, right? right. right? Because right. I like, I burned so much energy to be focused and that's not going to last for a three-hour board meeting. Or in a conversation with my wife, if that's how I'm trying to focus, that is high frequency focus, which will kill you and create chronic illness versus okay. low frequency focus. Okay, that, 
reflect on what this does to your relationships. So you've got an individual who takes what really are ordinary life tasks or challenges and approaches each one of them as a five-alarm fire. Yeah, I think what happens is your awareness is up, is, is you have greater awareness of your own personal senses. What am I feeling, experiencing, going on? How do I need to calm down? How do I need to engage my breathing? So your self-awareness is up. Your awareness of the situation is up because you're not using all this high-frequency lion chasing. Like when I'm, if I'm running from a lion, I don't really care what time of day it is. I don't care what's going on in the stock market. I don't care what's going on in any area of my life. I am running from that lion, right? And in the process, I can make a mess of everything around me, but I'm going to run from the lion. And that's what happens with these people that are stuck up in high frequency focus is everything becomes chaos in order for them to this life and death situation, which is not a life and death situation. That is what you're constructing it to be in your brain. And if you would conserve that energy, okay, so I've I've spent, just think of like I have a battery, right? And I've now opened 40 apps on my phone. They're all running at the same time. That's every system in your body. And I need some energy to focus on the people in the situation. What's going on myself? That energy is not available because I just spent it on useless what ifs this happens, well, anticipatory stress. Well, even to sort of apply an old joke here, right? I mean, in, if, if we're running from a lion, I don't really have to be faster than the lion. I just have to be faster than you. It becomes destructive of those relationships. It beca- you know, how many people have you heard in your office over the years who say it's really hard to live with this person or work with this person? Right. And that's because the upstream things that we can measure, that's what I want our listeners to know. These are measurable. Okay. The way that most medicine deals with a lot of these things is just rate these things or tell me, like, how are most people diagnosed with ADHD? With a subjective or attention problem, a subjective checklist of things, right? But you can literally measure attention in the brain. You got to understand that this is all available for people. You can see your dashboard. And it's so interesting when you sit down with people and one, when you sit down with the iconic people, the number one in the world in tennis nine times, and you look at their brain, you're like, there is not one lion chasing brainwave activated in this person at all. I mean, literally, when you look at the normal population, this person's in the 0.001% of using lion chasing brainwaves to function. And why does that person act differently at Wimbledon and win it so many times? Because they're able to be fully present, literally there when the ball hits the racket versus their brain someplace else in the worried situation. And then I've been on the flip side where, you know, they the executive comes in and I'm like, man, I, I, I'm like the coolest customer. And I look at their brain, and I'm like, what kind of destruction are you causing along the way? Because you're so unaware, unaware because you're in high frequency focus all the time. Your breathing is so fast. Your inner beat interval is so tight. There is no way that the people around you are sensing any form of connection or presence 
even though you might feel like that's going on, you're robbing yourself of really being the, the true you that you could be if we could get these upstream behaviors or these upstream measurable neurological and physiological things under control to address the psychological, emotional, and ultimately behavioral and relational things. Okay. I thought it would be really cool to use movie scenes and have you comment on those. Do you know if I know these movies or are they some obscure French subtitle thing? No, these were all major blockbuster motion oh, pictures. Okay. So maybe some of our younger viewers haven't seen them all. But let's try and see. The first one I want to talk about is the classic World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Yeah. So the movie is about the invasion of France in World War II and the famous D-Day invasion on the beaches of Normandy. Mm. And in the opening scene, you see these American soldiers and they're in this landing craft, you know, this mm -hmm. kind of open boat with a little launch ramp at the front. And they're coming in through the surf, approaching Omaha Beach where the Germans have these you know, machine gun installations and whatnot up on the hill. And... As they're coming, they're just minutes or moments out from when that door is going to flip open and they're going to be exposed to that German machine gun fire. And the camera pans across their faces and you see in their mm -hmm. eyes and you can see that these young men are, some of them are obviously thinking about home. Some of them are intensely <laughs> frightened about what's going to happen when that ramp opens. They're worrying about it. And they're, they're lost in their thoughts. And then the ramp opens. A lot of the machine gun fire comes in. A lot of them get shot. They, they come out on the beach. And then a lot of them end up hunkering down under little folds in the sand and little rocks. And a lot of these guys are laying down trying to get some little bit of cover from the machine guns up on the top of the hill, right? At that moment, they are intensely worried and thinking about what happens if I come out from my little bit of cover here. But at the same time, you can't stay where you are. And your thoughts can't be elsewhere. Your mind can't be elsewhere because your body is on that beach. And you need to sort of get grounded into where you are and what you're doing. And you need to get moving up that beach to survive. So now... I just wanted to throw that out there as maybe a little bit of an illustration about how we can become paralyzed with worry and fear and anxiety. And have you comment about that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, when you see this movie, I mean, what these soldiers did was just mind boggling and what they're willing to face. I mean, we, we cannot even come close to explaining this or I want to kind of preface that we're going to, we're going to talk about it, but I mean, we weren't there and the intensity and how they were willing to sacrifice their lives so that you and I can do this kind of stuff, right. And have freedom and all the things we enjoy is just, I want to encourage our listeners out there to just stop for a second and thank those people that have come before us that well, had the courage to do it. Yeah. So usually when we talk about a sympathetic response, so the autonomic nervous system, you have the fast response, which is called sympathetic, and then you have the slow response, which is parasympathetic. And in performance, we can't get too far in the extremes 
Because if we get too sympathetic, we get stuck in the anxiety and that's going to cause a fight response, a flight response, or people refer to it as a freeze response. And you're kind of stuck between these extremes of do I run, do I fight? And this freeze happens. And I think that when you're talking about there is a, there's definitely a sympathetic underlay for all of these people because this is, this is life and death response. This isn't, I'm sitting in my office worrying about my 401k, right? Or hope my kid gets into Harvard kind of thing. This is really life and death. This is really where you do want the brain to start running faster and the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis to activate so that we can release adrenaline and get energy because it is either fight, flight, you got to try to run back into this water land craft or you're going to freeze. And all of those can have their negative impacts. But the question is like, what is it that drives the person in moving forward to attack or to not get just stuck there, retreat or freeze? There are moments in life where maybe the best response is to retreat. If you're stuck in an abusive, traumatic relationship, retreating is not quitting. Retreating is kind of using your senses to say, this is not healthy for me or my children or my family or this job, this dead-end job that's, that's just tearing me apart physically and emotionally. I need to get out of it. So there, it's not that flight or running is always a problem. But you're never kind of going to get through this situation unless you kind of move forward. The people, even the people that are hiding behind the, the mounds of sand, which many of us would be, they know at some level, I've got to get out of here. Like, I got to do something, right? But what moves the person forward? That's a great, great question and for us to think about. And so this is where I want to flip the tables a little bit on the what ifs and the what abouts. Okay. So when I'm all over a golf ball and I need to be present, I need my five senses there. I definitely got to stop the what ifs because I'm thinking, what if I go in the water? What if this happens? Or the what abouts? What about happened a few holes ago? I need to be a hundred percent right there in the moment. Um, but in a situation where there really is danger, there is danger the frontal lobe lets us go beyond the situation and maybe use our whatabouts and our what-ifs as a, as a source of power. So our what-ifs and whatabouts can be problems to us being present in relationships and listening to people and our performance at work, but they can also create power in situations where I'm in confronted with something and I need to move forward, okay? So I can't say what was going on through these soldiers' heads, but there were probably some scenarios about some what-ifs. What if I don't deal with this situation right now? This, this goes behind me and my life. We have my family, my country, 
my brothers, my sisters are, are going to suffer by the hands of this force that I'm fighting against to the point that my what ifs are actually strong enough to pull me through a dangerous situation uh, that's yeah. very difficult. So I can use my what if scenario to attach to a principle or a concept of freedom and liberty and justice that can override even what we would think would be our desire for life. You know, that I'm going to, yes, I see the bullets. Yes, I see the dangers, but I also see something greater than this, this moment that I need to, I'm putting this point to fight through. Okay. Now, very few of us will ever be put in that situation, but these individuals were. And if, so we have the what ifs, like the principles that we, that maybe go beyond our own life, right? Which is hard to think about. And I think we might even be losing that as a culture is that we can get so individualized and so focused on my needs that we miss the the bigger principles that really drive us and make us more complete people for like fighting for our family fighting for justice fighting for freedom those are those are important things and then also sometimes it's the what abouts right so what about 911 right i'm going to go and fight right because of something that happened that i need to be a part of keeping this from happening but that memory of that event and what happened to people i know in our country and those kind of things that what about that past can push us forward through things that don't make a lot of sense but because of us try to deal with an unfinished what about sometimes we have to let those what abouts go i get that but there are situations that that drive us through and so for some of these individuals these soldiers on omaha beach that day there might have been some what abouts you know there may have been a brother that died or somebody in a concentration camp or something that that is pushing them through that event and again, we're very few of us will have these like life and death situations, but usually what I would say gets somebody through that moment where they're able to use that as a catalyst to be stronger is also the power of the what ifs and what abouts. And then they have to combine that with being present in the moment so that they can access all of their senses. So it's just like step into the what if then come back to the present, use my senses to be able to shoot accurately, to be in the zone, and to be able to fight efficiently. But I'm using my toes into the future, dipping them in there, or my toes into the past as a catalyst or a energy to bring me back to, I've got to perform at this one moment in time because there's people relying on me to do this in this moment. Okay, so that brings me to the second movie that I want to throw out at you. Now, it's a little bit of an older film, so some of our younger listeners probably don't remember it, but you can find it on Netflix or whatever, or Amazon Prime. It's called Hoosiers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gene Hackman, right? And so now this is a true story 
the 1954 Indiana State Basketball Tournament, okay? High school basketball tournament. And the, the deal is, is there's this small town out in the middle of nowhere in Indiana, a little farm town. And their team, their high school basketball team that year is just fantastically good, right? And won't get into all the ins and outs, but they make it to the state basketball tournament. And so Gene Hackman is the coach and he takes the boys to Indianapolis where this thing's going to be held. And they've never been to the big city before. They've never been out of their small town. Yeah. And yeah. They, they go to the big city and the day before the game, they go into the arena where it's going to be played. Mm-hmm. And the, the scene is really well shot, right? There's this gargantuan arena, the lights, the ceilings way up there, the seats, right? It's just massive. And they're completely overwhelmed and intimidated. We can't play in this. And then in this really great scene, Gene Hackman pulls out of his pocket a tape measure and he tells the boys, measure the distance from the hoop to the floor and measure the distance from the hoop to the free throw line, right? And they do it and he goes, and he says, gentlemen, I think you'll find that those are the exact dimensions of our court back in the gymnasium at home. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And I thought that's such a great scene because he grounds them. They're so intimidated by the size and the space and the situation, but he grounds them in the reality. It's 10 feet to that hoop. The free throw line is exactly the same distance. And you've been able to play in the gymnasium back home and there's no reason you can't play here. Be grounded in the court. Don't think about all that other stuff. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about come to our senses. Isn't that an interesting statement? Come to your senses, right? Like we've said that to people when they're just, the wheels are coming off and they're shaking, right? And it's just that we say it so, you know, fast. We don't even really think about, well, what am I asking this person to do in this statement? And that's what we need to do to be present, right? It's like, we need to come back to our senses. Everybody listening right now, I want to encourage you right now, come back to your senses for a second. So think of this as either inward or outward, right? Like how much of me is like outward away from my senses right now? And how much of me is inward and aware of my senses? What are you smelling? What are you feeling on your skin? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you taste? I mean, when's the last time we just sat down? You gave ourselves a minute to reverse the direction of come back to your senses, right? And in this movie, that's what he, he's trying to force. The guys are all looking out, like if the, the camera pans and you just see the, the enormous of this facility, this arena. And they're doing that, is they're looking outward, like, how do I conquer this? Well, you conquer this one step at a time, just like you do anything else. And the first step is this floor, this court isn't any different. And it's so funny that you put this in here because I don't know if I had like this in my unconscious and I used this with an athlete or what, but I had a quarterback that I've worked with for a number of years and early in his career would come out of college and you're playing in the NFL and the noise and the environment and the intensity of the NFL, we would talk about this. Man, this is so intense. 
right? And all build up all week long. Yes, college sports is like that, but there's so many games going on, so many conferences. It's no, it's nowhere near what's happened in the NFL. And I remember one day before I was kind of preparing for our, our weekly meeting, I said, the football field is the exact same size as this guy played in middle school, right? So I calculated the square yardage of the football field and it's 6,396, right? And so this became the number that we all we would talk about. I think for that almost half of that season, it was 6,396, 6,396. I want you to write that on the back of your hand. 6396. And we would talk about 6396 because it's the same size, right? Now, maybe somewhere in my mind, the Hoosers thing came in. I don't know. I thought it was brilliant at the point. But now that you bring up Hoosers, I probably robbed it from Hoosers. (laughs) Well, but you think about that, right? So the goalposts are the same width on the practice field, but that field goal kicker, man, those goalposts look really small when it's the Super Bowl. No, but that that whole thing like you're talking about is if we come back to our senses and can push the what ifs and the what abouts and see the reality of the situation, right? Nobody's asking you to process Friday's work when it's Monday, okay? Nobody's asking you to completely put together your whole portfolio for when you're 68, when you're 33, right? But we do that to ourselves. Maybe sometimes because there's a little bit of kick in the adrenaline that happens and we get a little bit addicted to kind of that dopamine response or whatever. And and so now we check our, our bank accounts four times a day. Well, guess what? Your bank account didn't change. Yes, the stocks went up and down a little bit, but are you really going to hang your ability to be present on whether the stock market went up or down today? I hope not because that's not as important as your relationships. And so recentering with all I can be responsible for is like where my feet are right now. And what is the reality of where my feet are? Right? Is it is it upside down? Probably not. It's still the same size court, right? It's something I've been preparing for doing my whole life. Um, I should be able to do it fine or get up and speak about it if I need to or whatever that's going to be. Okay, so you're on the free throw line, you're on the tee box, you're the kicker, and you're lined up for the field goal. And you've made your alignments, you've set yourself up, picked your target. And then at a certain point, you just have to let go and let it happen, right? Yeah. And you have to stop overthinking, which brings me to the third movie. Now, this movie is actually older than the other two, but I think that everybody on the planet has seen it. And that's Star Wars, the original Star Wars, right? So in the original Star Wars, at the climax of the film, there's the Death Star. And Luke Skywalker is in his X-Wing fighter, and he's flying down this trench, right? And they're shooting at him, and Darth Vader's coming behind him in an enemy fighter. And Luke Skywalker has to put this proton torpedo or something into this little <laughs> exhaust port in the Death Star yeah. to blow it up, right? And they've taken multiple tries at it and they keep bouncing off the rim of this thing and they're down to the last torpedo, the last chance, right? 
And so Luke has this little targeting computer thing that comes in front of him and he's watching the targeting computer and it's lining up to tell him when to take the shot. And at that moment, Obi-Wan's ghost yeah. shows up and says, turn off the targeting computer, right? You got to trust the force, trust your feelings, let it happen, take the shot. I know that you wouldn't say to trust the force, right? <laughs> but there is a moment at which you you can't overthink this anymore. You need to be able to take the shot. You need to be able to trust finding that zone or something and then let it happen. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it's, if you borrow back from the Hoosiers movie, I'm going to borrow from two movies here. I remember at the end, the guy says, give me the ball. I'm going to make this thing. Like he's ready. He's not overthinking it. None of the situation of the moment is getting in the way of all the time that he's prepared. So the the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So if we've been preparing for these moments, we don't want to let the situation and the intensity of the situation or the distraction of the situation make us get distracted from what we're going to do, right? And in the Hoosiers movie, the guy takes on the challenge and does it. You've worked with so many world-class athletes over the years that find that zone, that moment where they just let go and it happens. Can, can, you, can you unpack that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, I think one is, I mean, the things that make us kind of drop our jaw in sports and be like, what the heck? That pass is going out of bounds. There's no way that that is going to get caught and he's going to get two feet down. That is going to be impossible, right? But yet, the person does. And so there is a certain level in this that if the missile is too large to fit in the vent or whatever it is, well, that's, that's just futile. That's not going to happen. But when we do these precision things that are capable of being done, but it does require us to be completely in the moment, that's when it rocks the world. And we're like, wow, look what I just did, right? So there does have to be some reality to it. Can this be accomplished? Can the pass be caught? Can the missile go down the chute? But in order to make that happen, we have to be all there and we have to think about how we're kind of wired. And we've talked about this a ton about the difference between the conscious and the unconscious. Okay, so my conscious can trick me. It can get distracted by the moment, right? But my unconscious, which is comprising 90 to 95% of what's going on and maybe even more in my body, is quite remarkable, right? Like keeping my body temperature at 98.6 is probably more amazing than Luke dropping the missile down the vent. If we really stop and think how I convert food and some things that we might not even consider food <laughs> into into energy that I'm doing unconsciously. I'm completely immobile at night, but yet my respiratory is state is perfect. My cardiovascular state is perfect. I'm forming memories. Like this stuff is crazy that's going on. I mean, just, just stop and think about how amazing you are as a person. And there we have this special force inside of us, which is this unconscious that's doing all these amazing things that if we can lean into it and kind of, we talk about in sports, get out of the way, 
get my head out of the way. That's really what you're talking about. What Obi-Wan is saying to Luke is get out of the way of yourself. Let yourself do what it's been trained to do. And with that does come the will to prepare to win. Like I can say all day, I want to drop that missile down that chute. But if I haven't been out practicing in my X-Fighter, well, that's silly. So you have to be preparing to win. You have to be prepared to deliver in that board meeting. You got to be prepared to deliver in the sales call. You got to be prepared in that relationship when it hits a conflict that you know how to ride through it by good communication skills. But in those moments when you are prepared, you lean into that unconscious by coming to your senses and letting this powerful, powerful thing that you have inside of you take over and drive the situation. Because it's doing that already. It's already doing amazing things every second of the day that we're not thinking about. We just need to leverage those things. Well, yeah. And not only at that moment do you do these amazing things, for the people watching, it looks you make it look easy. Yeah. Most of us have no idea what our true ceiling is. We're such amazing creatures that if we can tap into that, um, there are things that we can accomplish that go beyond anything we can ever imagine. I mean, I had something very significant in my life happen four years ago that literally rocked my world, our family's world. And I would have said, man, there's no way to come back from that, right? And here it is four years later, and this is kind of the best time of our life right now. I just, it's just amazing. There's always hope. There's always hope. And who we are as people are amazing creatures if we can leverage that. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment? You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.